hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I have a constituency that I'm trying to keep healthy and I can't get them to take a COVID vaccine because of misinformation that's propagated on the internet. Well, that was Massachusetts Congressman Seth Moulton during that special misinformation panel hosted by Brian Stelter at the World Economic Forum. We talked about in the last segment, the Democrats took to the stage at the WEF summit in Davos to complain about how people aren't getting the latest COVID booster because of quote unquote internet disinformation. Now he called this a public health issue. Moulton is right. There is a lot of disinformation out there, especially right on the CDC's website, primarily that the coronavirus vaccine, vaccine we'll use loosely, is safe and effective. The real public health issue is the massive amount of vaccine-injured people suffering, especially from heart problems, but a valuable tool could save lives. Defibrillators, or AEDs, are medical devices that can save someone's life by stabilizing their heart once they go into cardiac arrest. The NIH estimated that bystanders were able to save 1,700 lives by using defibrillators in 2017. But again, that was 2017 before COVID shots came into the picture. A new report called Global External Defibrillator Market Size Rejection predicts that the defibrillator market will grow by 7.8% each year from 2023 to 2030. Now, if you're wondering why defibrillators are expected to be so popular over the next eight years, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the massive increase in heart attacks for young vaccinated people. Now, recently, I interviewed a brave Army National Guard woman named Carolina Stancic. She went from being able to run 10 miles at a time to having a heart attack at just 21 years old. Her opinions are her own and do not represent the military, she was sure to say, or the Department of Defense. I've had 17 doctors that I've seen within the ER or specialists that have attributed it to the vaccine. None of them have written it down on paper or documented it. I've had civilian doctors through um, the army talk to me about it. They've sat there and said that the safety was not, they weren't sure of the safety. Then I finally saw a cardiologist down in Florida and that cardiologist uh, finally in my uh, report, she had written up that I was probably injured by the vaccine that was in written form and then not a couple not until a couple months later when i asked her if we could talk about the effects and how to go about the effects of the vaccine that have affected obviously my heart my lungs and neurological issues now she had said she didn't want any interest or she had no interest in helping or researching now, once again, Florida is leading the fight against the COVID cartel. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that there will be legislative proposals to create permanent legal protections against COVID-19 vaccine and mask mandates. He also called out the bivalent boosters ineffectiveness. You should never be discriminated against based on your MRNRA status at all in any way. You shouldn't be, it should not even be an issue. You should also have protections about masks. You should be able to live your life without a mask. And it's like they say, well, some businesses make you do it. 
it's irrational to be forcing this in any way. Let's welcome back Dr. Peter McCullough to The Absolute Truth to discuss all this. He's the author of Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. It's available at CourageToFaceCovid.com. That's at CourageToFaceCovid.com. Dr. McCullough, welcome back. It's good to see you. I think it's concerning when you see this, this projection on the need for defibrillators by 2030. What are your thoughts on that? You know, rates of coronary heart disease and revascularization have, have gone down. In fact, we've done better with uh, preserving myocardial function. Uh, we've done better uh, in uh, you know, lowering cholesterol, blood pressure, all the risk factors for heart disease. The only thing that could make defibrillator use go up is widespread mass vaccination. Our FDA agrees that the vaccines cause heart damage and the heart damage in a proportion of people can leave a scar and that scar then is the nidus for a fatal arrhythmia, ventricular tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation. And in, in our cardiology guidelines, we cannot let individuals who have myocarditis, whether they feel it or not, exercise because it's during exercise that it precipitates a cardiac arrest. And, and I think that's explanatory for the explosion of cardiac arrests that we've seen worldwide. I've recently had a more focused update on the, uh, on the data with Dr. Panagis Polycretis from Italy. And we looked at a period of time in Europe before the vaccines where the rate of cardiac arrests were 29 per year under age 35 active players. Now we've restricted in the post-vaccine era, same group under age 35 active players, there's been a tenfold annualized increase in cardiac arrests among athletes. About two thirds are fatal. So it feels like it's sort of this circular problem then. If there, people who took the vaccine, particularly athletes are at risk from activity, yet what you would normally do to help your heart is, you know, get adequate cardiac, cardiovascular activity, workouts, it, maintain your weight. So what are these people supposed to do to take care of themselves now if they've taken the vaccine? Two important points. If people have taken a vaccine, we know worldwide it's about two-thirds of people have taken a vaccine. The first two points are the toxicity appears to be cumulative. So the first point is don't take any more vaccines because each vaccine loads the body with the dangerous and damaging spike protein. And then the second point is be vigilant with respect to symptoms. We believe uh, that lots of people have subtle symptoms and they potentially are not going for an evaluation. For the athletes though, because this is high risk, uh, the Big Ten Athletic League in 2020, the US military, so many organizations had myocarditis screening programs. They were looking for myocarditis with COVID and they didn't find much. Uh, you know, a really good program for the Big Ten was published in JAMA by Daniels and colleagues. Uh, I think these myocarditis screening programs should be redeployed now for college and professional athletes, selective high school athletes. We ought to have the same protections uh, that we had in place for COVID. There was a worry about COVID, but it turns out that wasn't much of a risk. We should have those protections in place now for the vaccines where our FDA clearly says that we've got risks on our hands. 
And speaking of adjusting to the effects of the vaccine, Steve Kirsch broke news on his substack that the FAA quietly readjusted the parameters for EKG tests for their pilots without Americans really noticing. How concerning is this to you, doctor? The FAA has had these criteria for a long time. I anticipate one of the motives for doing this is they were finding more people with a, a PR interval greater than 200 milliseconds, and that can be due to calcium channel blockers, beta blockers, older age. Uh, it's not a predictor of sudden death. It can be uh, in the progression towards heart block. Uh, so I anticipate this move it may not have necessarily been COVID-related, uh, but the FAA should come out and clearly explain why this is the case uh, in order to try to you know, reduce any anxieties. The pilots are very concerned about the data on cardiac arrests and, and blood clots. And it was, you know, there, there's been a, a pilot who died of a cardiac arrest on a, a plane that took off from O'Hare Airport. There's an, another pilot who had a cardiac arrest in the jetway in, in DFW Airport. He was resuscitated. So pilots are very concerned with what they're seeing. I think the FDA, FAA ought to take on directly the issue of COVID-19 vaccine-induced threats to their health and have, again, active screening programs and have some health assurances that they haven't been damaged by the vaccines. So just to clarify, you don't think necessarily that this move by the FAA is a direct result of the mass vaccination of pilots? Yeah, I, I, off the, uh, you know, without knowing any other parameters that they used to decide this, I bet it was based on uh, actuarial changes over time. The pilot workforce's age, the PR interval uh, prolongs, use of beta blockers and cast channel blockers for a variety of conditions can prolong them. Uh, it, the PR interval is not in this risk continuum for sudden death with COVID-19 vaccines. Now on my Substack, I've published that the QT interval is, uh, we know that there now are some mutations that, uh, that, that people harbor that could put them at risk for sudden death, but those are separate issues. Yeah, and real quick, I have about 20 seconds, and I, I do just have to get your thoughts on what we see out of the World Economic Forum this week. There's still a clear push for vaccinations. The Moderna CEO said that they're building manufacturing plants across the globe, I mean, multiple countries, to further expand on the mRNA technology. Just your reaction. mRNA has been a disaster. We should never use genetic injections to try to cause a protein production and then evoke immunity. I'm even concerned about you know, production of therapeutic or, or counter-regulatory hormones like, like uh, relaxin. I think messenger RNA technology is off to a very bad, uh, very bad start, and we shouldn't be jumping into more of it. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. Always good to see you. A reminder, audience, they can go get your book and also follow you on Substack as well. Thank you. That was Emerald Robinson and the absolute truth. You heard the update. I played it because I wanted you to hear these critical updates. These are the questions that we're facing as uh, we have just a confluence of activities. What a contrast uh, to have uh, meetings in Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum, all different types of dignitaries, oligarchs, uh, those uh, interested with, with on so many issues, uh, mass vaccination, climate change, uh, 
transhumanism, gene editing. Uh, what in the world would they be doing at a World Economic Forum meeting? Uh, announcements on broader applications of vaccines and genetic technologies. And at the same time, Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is announcing that uh, they're taking even more steps to uh, remove the threat of mass vaccination through mandates, uh, threats of uh, masking, all of the pandemic type of fear operations now being unwound, removed, uh, the public being safeguarded from this in order to attempt to go back to normal. So many issues at hand. Boy, what a set of contrasts. Uh, this week on my Substack, Courageous Discourse, I put out a uh, update, and I want to make it uh, very clear on this update. Many people have asked me about this. What's going on with the pandemic? What's coming out of China? And how can we possibly navigate? Uh, I, I had a dedicated show on China with Dr. Li Ming Yang uh, now uh, a few weeks ago, and, and I think I, I wasn't exactly satisfied that we had a complete understanding of what was going on in China and the variants, but we do understand what's going on today. And so on my Substack this week, look for the title BQ and XBB Omicron subvariants have emerged. And what we know here is our CDC Nowcast system, which is a very good system, uh, is correctly anticipated all the changes in uh, the various strains uh, and now the Omicron subvariant strains from the very beginning. Uh, so data on the Substack from the CDC website accessed January 18th, 2023, United States pattern of strains, uh, October 9th, 2022 to January 14th, 2023. The BA5 subvariant has gone from 70% seven, uh, down to uh, 0.5%. Uh, of the uh, BA 5.2.6 and then 2.6% of the BA 5 alone. The BA 4 strain, which was, uh, you know, co-mingling, if you will, with the BA 5 strain, that's now at 0%. So BA 5 alone, that's, uh, you know, the targets of the bivalent boosters were BA 4 and BA 5. Uh, those were both Moderna and Pfizer boosters. That proportion now is uh, roughly 2.6% potential uh, target. The Wuhan wild type ancestral strain has been completely extinct now for about two years. So that's 0%. So the bivalent boosters would be on target for uh, at the most 2.6% of strains. So what's really uh, supplanted all of that? We have the BQ 1.1, BQ 0.1, and the XBB 0.1.5. Uh, largely, I've just categorized them as BQ and XBB. Uh, what we know about these is that they are largely resistant to uh, the COVID-19 vaccines, and they have emerged, uh, likely out of China, 
Since China uses a Chinese menu of about 12 different vaccines, mainly antigen and killed virus vaccines, which seem to really promote the mutant strains. Now a research letter has appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine, January 18th, 2023, issued by Jessica Miller and colleagues from uh, uh, Harvard Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center from the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Uh, and they indicate now that there is substantial neutralization escape by SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variants BQ1.1 and XBB.1. And they indicate here that the antibodies that are uh, induced by the bivalent messenger RNA boosters have dramatically lower uh, titers compared to the original Wuhan strain by a factor of a 53 and 127 lower rates of uh, antibody production compared to uh, the original um, Wuhan strain inducing antibodies to the original Wuhan strain. What does this mean? Uh, essentially what this means is that um, these bivalent boosters essentially cannot stop the BQ and XBB variants. It's essentially useless. So any theoretical reason to take a booster now <coughs> is gone. And then furthermore, I want to point out that uh, in a paper, this is an important paper uh, that escaped uh, a lot of press coverage. And, and the first author is Fayette Klassen, K-L-A-A-S-S-E-N. And uh, it was uh, published on November 23rd, 2022 in the MedRx preprint service system. The title of the paper was Changes in Population Immunity Against Infection and Severe Disease from SARS-CoV-2 Omicron Variants in the United States, December 2021 and November 2022. They have concluded, this is an important paper, uh, using a variety of Bayesian uh, analytic techniques from existing data and extrapolating to the population. But you know what they've concluded? They've concluded that 94% of the U.S. population now, whether they know it or not, has already been through COVID-19. They've already had the infection and they have some degree of now natural immunity, meaning that the second and third uh, infections and fourth infections, if they occur, are going to be characteristically mild. We know from a paper by Chin and colleagues from the U.S. prison system, 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 staff, that vaccinated or not, when there is a second and third infection, the risk of hospitalization and death are negligible. Uh, in that study specifically, the risks were zero. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be zero for the entire population, but it's so small that now that the U.S. population has been through the illness, it's basically we're at the end of the Spanish flu, if you will, that from this point forward, it'll be no more than a common cold. And with the now mutational change that we've seen in the United States, CDC correctly uh, showing this on the CDC NowCast system, the bivalent boosters have uh, effectively zero theoretical benefit of antagonizing or blocking or attenuating 
COVID-19. They've had no proven outcomes, no demonstration they can stop the illness, didn't stop the illness in animals, no human data suggesting the boosters can stop uh, illness in terms of prospective randomized trials. Uh, Baylor College of Medicine faculty, Dr. Peter Hotez was nominated for the Nobel Prize uh, in medicine uh, because of the uh, development of the Corbivax vaccine. And now we have this disaster result that, in fact, the Corbivax vaccine could could make the worldwide pandemic uh, much worse. Now, as we sit here today, there are no data to suggest the Corbivax vaccine uh, saved any lives. Uh, there's no data suggesting that it spared any human suffering. And quietly, the Nobel Prize Selection Committee did not choose this discovery to win the Nobel Prize in medicine. It was awarded to Swedish geneticist, Dr. Savante Pabo, uh, for his research in the field of genomes and extinct hominins throughout human evolution. So it's really an evolutionary basic scientist from, uh, from Sweden that won the Nobel Prize and not Dr. Peter Hotez, Texas Children's Hospital or Baylor College of Medicine for the, it looks like now, failed Corbivax vaccine. So maybe the Nobel Prize uh, Award Committee knew something that uh, CNN or the other stations didn't because there was so much fanfare about having a Nobel laureate. Now, it's not the uh, first time that someone from Texas has been nominated for the Nobel Prize or, in fact, won the Nobel Prize. At my alma mater at University of Texas Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, there's been six uh, Nobel laureates, uh, notably uh, Dr. Brown and Goldstein, who were attendings when I was a student there. Uh, they won the Nobel Prize for cholesterol, medicine, uh, 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 cholesterol metabolism. Dr. Buse Butler, uh, a molecular biologist, recently won the Nobel Prize for uh, uh, G-protein discovery. Uh, University of Texas in Houston has also won the Nobel Prize, and I'm, I anticipate Baylor College of Medicine and others have uh, as well. So. Uh, here we go. I, I, in my view, the Nobel Prize uh, really ought to go to the, the team of doctors, a worldwide team that instituted early treatment protocols ahead of government guidelines and actually uh, facing the adverse headwinds of governments that tried to suppress early treatment. Early treatment has resulted and spared tens of millions of hospitalizations worldwide in millions of lives. And that those estimates, I think, are very solid. We knew by December of 2020, an analysis by uh, Eleftherios Gukliakis, that we had uh, clear and convincing evidence, that means a p-value less than 0 .001, that uh, early treatment was reducing uh, hospitalization and death. And thank goodness we got that uh, in order. So I wanted to give you that important update we are hearing uh, a tremendous amount uh, from the World Economic Forum. I wanted to play this brief clip for you uh, by uh, Moderna CEO Stefan Bainzel, who I think for the first time now is tacitly admitting that indeed the COVID-19 vaccines were devised before COVID-19 uh, crisis actually was, was born out of the lab in Wuhan, China. Let's take a listen. This is Becky Quick from CNBC and uh, the other CNBC uh, crew with Moderna 
CEO, Stefan Bainzel. Let's take a listen. Last time we were here in Davos in the winter, uh, it was uh, January 2020. Yeah. And I saw you at that point, and we were at a breakfast um, right over here at the Belvedere. I remember. And you came up to me in this small room, and you were talking about how you had actually, the, you were working on a vaccine mm. for, for COVID. And at that point, COVID-19 didn't even really exist in our minds. We, we were just hearing that. about the yeah, I think there was no name at that time. Like coronavirus. Yeah, right. The last time we were here in Davos in the winter, yeah. and I So you can... You know, you can tell he goes, well, it didn't even have a name at that time. Well, how did he have a vaccine? Uh, what we know now is Stefan Bainzel uh, was previously the CEO of BioMRU, a French uh, conglomerate in vitro diagnostic company. And under the direction of Jacques Chirac in a deal with China, Stefan Bainzel and BioMRU helped design the biosecurity level four annex to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This was all in the years prior to 2011. Then Bainzel jumps from BioMRU as a billionaire CEO and joins Moderna. Moderna, a very small company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Moderna receives its first flow of money from the US government in 2013. Remember in 2012 that the US government, uh, Department of Defense, DARPA research unit, announced the ADEPT P3 program. And this is very important. ADEPT P3 program was a stated overt initiative for our government to develop messenger RNA vaccines. And they claimed that they would be able to end pandemics in 60 days. And I think largely to protect our military from pandemic threats elsewhere in the United States, but the ADEPT P3 program. So these are very important steps. So Bainzel helps the Chinese develop the lab uh, before 2011. He comes over in 2011, 2012, and starts receiving the flow of money from Moderna to devise the COVID-19 vaccine. And he writes the patent with the National Institutes of Health, which ultimately has a priority date before the virus is even, you know, is ultimately emanating out of the lab in Wuhan, China. And there he tacitly admits the virus didn't even have a name at that time at the meeting in Davos, Switzerland. So if you want to learn more about this timeline of how did this happen, how did our military develop and engineer SARS-CoV-2 and at the same time work on vaccines and monoclonal antibodies, in terms of a, bio, a biological threat program and the pandemic preparedness planning uh, activities uh, in the timeline, I suggest you pick up a copy of COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, written by Peter and Ginger Bregan. I wrote one of the introductions. Uh, you can go to the website, www.wearetheprey.com. And uh, it's very uh, affordable. It sold many copies. And it's worthwhile because you want the book, in the back of the book, you want the timeline. You want to be able to go through each one of these. Importantly, 36 pandemic preparedness planning events, and I mentioned some of them, 25 of which generated written documents, and then six were filmed. Six actually generated a film that you can watch, including the Johns Hopkins Spars Pandemic Tabletop Exercise, the Georgetown Conference, where Anthony Fauci and current White House coordinator Ashish Jha 
fully forecast that we'll have a COVID-19 pandemic a few years before it happens. And then Event 201, which happened in 2019. There again, we have all the players there planning the COVID-19 pandemic, including the director of the Chinese CDC who comes over to participate in Event 201. So you can have all this and understand that whether this was just very good planning for an eventuality or a biosecurity risk or whether or not there was intentional uh, release of a virus from a lab in Wuhan, China, and then all the global reaction, you know, what those are the two leading theories. You can see how it was laid out. Uh, no one can say that this was a total surprise. Peter Bregan and Ginger Bregan COVID-19 and the Global Prayers, We Are the Prey, I think kind of the reference book for the timeline. So you've been listening to the McCullough Report. Uh, we are going to take a brief pause and get to the other side. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. You know, I've recently started using, on a much more regular basis, Healthy Cell focus and recall. And the reason I did this is that, you know, in the morning I get up and I have a cup of coffee and I start to work on a variety of projects, mainly at the computer. And sometimes I'm just a little tired and don't feel my, my mental sharpness comes as quickly as I'd like. And with the, um, with the microgel technology of Healthy Cell products, uh, it really is a tremendous advance. And I want to read for you uh, what's in Healthy Cell Focus and Recall. So there's Focus and Neurotransmitters. Uh, there is uh, Mupirazine A, L-theanine, Glycine, and Tyrosine. There are Micronutrients for Recall, Mental Speed, and Rapid Learning, L-alpha, uh, um, GPC, phosphatidylserine, uh, uh, DMAE. Uh, we have brain flow uh, support, curcumin, taurine, and green coffee bean extract. So the curcumin, um, I think, plays a key role. Brain oxidant uh, activity, lutein, panax, uh, ginseng root, black pepper, fruit extract, and then cognitive fuel and brain energy, uh, omega-3, 6, and 9, for sure, MCT oil, and vitamin B6 and B12. You know, having taken these, I am becoming convinced uh, that they really do have an impact. I'm going to take one here shortly as I kick off my day. Uh, but I've also concluded that they're slightly stimulatory. And uh, I did take one uh, in the evening time, closer to bedtime, and I did feel like I was up a little bit and didn't sleep as in fault and have the same pressure to fall asleep as I normally do. So if you're going to use focus and recall, I'm going to suggest in the morning for most of my patients. I know for me it's in the morning. Uh, take it as your boost as you start your day. It's not just for uh, patients with dementia or cognitive uh, dysfunction. I think it's honestly for almost all adults like me and you working hard and using all of our energies and all of our efforts every day uh, in our work and family life and school and church. So uh, if you go to HealthyCell.com, uh, uh, search for Focus and Recall, it comes in an orange and white box, and then use the promo code OUTLOUD. 
Uh, if you go to the America Out Loud website, click on the banner bar, that will take you to Healthy Cell, and then you'll get a discount on your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. All right. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Welcome to Fearless. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. Uh, I'm so glad we made it through Monday and it's Tuesday. It's the day before Wednesday. And we have a fantastic and awesome show planned for you. A special edition of Fearless. It's our second cookout edition of Fearless. And I'm joined by more than a dozen patriots and Steve Dace uh, <laughs> is, is here with me as well. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson uh, sitting to my right, probably your left. I don't know how you're looking on TV. Steve Dace uh, sitting to my left. Uh, they're here to help me and to have us have a conversation about the vaccine and vaccine injuries and the way America handled COVID. A lot of people are in denial about the ramifications of the way we handled this health crisis, pandemic, virus. A lot of people don't want to deal with the fact that people have been harmed by this. People have lost jobs. People have had their health damaged. People have had their reputations ruined. People have made great sacrifices in standing up against the establishment and the corporations and big pharma and the politicians and the globalists who have pushed this vaccine and have pushed this chaotic, irresponsible response to the COVID virus. We don't want to deal with the damage that has been done. We're gonna deal with it today. Bunch of people have come to Nashville to help me unpack this story. Steve Dace is here because as anybody that watches the Blades or anybody that's paid attention, Steve is, in my opinion, the foremost media authority 
on COVID and the way America has handled this situation. There are probably some people that are a bit more popular in corporate and mainstream America. But Steve was first out with the Faucian bargain and basically was the intellectual brains behind a lot of people who were early criticizing the way America handled this. Steve and Daniel Horowitz have now written a second book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, talking about our irresponsible response to the COVID deal. Steve's here as my crutch. Anybody that's watched this show knows that I've talked about the vaccine, I've talked about our response, but not from a place of authority and research and extreme knowledge. I use my instincts and my faith in God in my decision on how I handled the vaccine. I just don't think man is smarter than God and our natural immune system. And so I started, as you guys have watched me on this show, I started exercising and losing weight and leaning into faith and prayer. That was my response. That was just all instincts and faith. Steve has those same instincts and faith, but he's also done a lot of research. And so he's here to help me walk through these interviews that we're going to do with a series of people, including Ron Johnson, who I think is clearly our most outspoken, powerful politician on what's going on with the vaccine. Robert Kennedy Jr. is here as well, and you'll hear from him shortly. Robert Kennedy Jr. has risked his reputation and friendships to be a true patriot and a fighter against the way we've handled the vaccine and the COVID pandemic. Can't wait to hear from him. We have people from the sports world included. We're, we're, I got to say I'm disappointed. I was promised Carl Malone. We had to settle for John Stockton <laughs> instead. Uh, John Stockton's here. You guys know what happened to him. Uh, with Gonzaga and John's been very outspoken and courageous. He's come here from Utah. Uh, we have a former Navy SEAL, Steve Kaplan. He's here. He's going to unpack his story. Nick Rolovich, head football coach at Washington State University, asked for a religious exemption from the vaccine, was denied that and run out of a job as the head coach uh, at Washington State University because of his refusal to take the vaccine. He's here. Beth Faber, longtime ESPN employee. Chris Singleton, former Major League Baseball player and ESPN employee. Ken Rutgers, former NFL player, former first-round draft pick of the Green Bay Packers. His wife has been injured by the COVID experimental medical trial called a vaccine. Am, am I forgetting anybody? Uh, Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Joel Walls Cog, a doctor from Milwaukee, is here as well. Joel, injured by the experimental medical trial vaccine, whatever has cost himself. The, the vaccine and the injury cost him a lot, a ton of money. His practice. He's a true American patriot. Can't wait for him to unpack his story. But we're going to start with. Uh, one of the most, 100 most powerful men in America, Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator uh, from the state of Wisconsin. Ron, thank you so much uh, for, for, for being here. And I'm going to start with, with this, that where we are now, where everybody knows that we've 
handled this inappropriately and that the government promoted an experimental medical trial that has damaged Americans and that our our lack of an early treatment program and response take the vaccine don't don't hydroxychloroquine ivermectin that's all bad bad and now that's all been proven wrong why is it that you and Rand Paul seem to be the only politicians willing to stick your necks out and talk about this well first of all Jason thank you for putting together this forum I think these are extremely important discussions to have so the American people can hear the truth. Uh, but, but I'll challenge you right off the bat there. You said, now that we all know, uh, that's not true. There is an enormous and pervasive state of denial in this country. Uh, basically, human tendency, people don't want to admit they were wrong. So the federal health agencies that shut down our economy, unlike Sweden, uh, people that not only ignored early treatment, but sabotaged it uh, with almost a maniacal uh, focus solely on vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. Uh, The people that push these vaccines, even though their own safety surveillance systems were screaming at them, saying, maybe slow down, maybe exercise some caution here, forced it on individuals, uh, mandated it, uh, forced it onto our, not forced, but uh, uh, approved it for use in children who really you know, had virtually no risk of serious harm from COVID. Uh, So none of these people want to admit they were wrong. Members of Congress, they did videos telling their constituents to get vaccinated. Doctors push vaccinations on their children. Nobody wants to admit that something they recommended might have killed somebody or permanently disabled them or uh, paralyzed them or created these neurological problems, uh, creating all these sports injuries. So no, the, the, the bottom line is we have, I think, a, a large segment of the, of the population, I would say more than a majority, that are just simply in a state of denial. If, if you got the vaccine, the, the last thing you want to even hear about is that maybe there's some ticking time bomb. Now, now I think the good news is that there have been literally something like you know, 600 million doses in America. And even though the numbers are large, about a million and a half adverse events on Bayer system, over 33,000 deaths reported. By the way, 26% of those are occurring on day zero, one, or two. It certainly would concern me. I don't know why it doesn't concern the, the Fauci's of the world and people in the federal health agencies. But the vast majority of people that did get those doses, they didn't experience an adverse event. But to put things in perspective, the swine flu vaccine back in 1976, about 45 million doses were administered. Uh, somewhere between four and 500 cases of Guillain-Barre disease, a neurological disorder, a couple dozen deaths, that vaccine program was shut down. And here we are today, uh, by March of 2021, three months into the vaccination, we already had over 4,000 deaths. At that time, over 40% were occurring on day zero, one, or two. And when I asked Francis Collins in person about, you know, are you looking at your VAERS system? Are you, are you, concerned about what that is showing you his, his reaction was basically blowed me up blowing me off says well senator people die so you know, a long senatorial answer to your question is there is not general agreement uh, in this country or throughout the world the people who push this they have all the power i call them the COVID cartel you know now it's the biden administration the federal health agencies uh, big pharma 
who have captured the agencies as well as our media. I mean, take a look at all the all the shows sponsored by Pfizer and Big Tech. So that's the COVID cartel. They have so mishandled this pandemic in general. Our responses was a miserable failure, and they've been pushing these vaccines. They can't afford to be proven wrong. They can't afford to be exposed. I, I think I know where Steve stands on this, but let me ask this follow-up, Steve, and I want you to jump in. If you call it the COVID cartel, and so for someone like me and maybe a public, we can hear cartel with Pablo Escobar. Who, who's the kingpin? Is there someone perhaps more responsible than everybody else? Well, you'll have Bobby Kennedy on in, in, uh, in his brilliant book, The Real Anthony Fauci. He has a follow-on video. And he starts that video with Eisenhower's speech on the industri- military-industrial complex, mm-hmm. you know, basically equating that with now the pharmaceutical-industrial complex. So if, if I would say somebody's in charge, I would say it'd be the corrupting in- influence. I'm a private sector guy. I, I never had a problem with big business. You know, sometimes you need big business to do big things. But my eyes have been opened in terms of corrupting influence of big pharma. Uh, we probably should never have allowed them to advertise because that allowed them to capture the entire mainstream media and the social media giants, but also their capture, capture the agencies. So if this, if this thing has been driven by anything, I would say it's certainly big pharma. But again, I, I also, two or three years ago, if you would have talked to me about uh, the Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, I would have said, well, why don't you go over there and in the corner with those other folks over me there. Too. Um, yeah. Not anymore. I, I, what I've seen during this pandemic, I can't believe, I can't explain it. It makes no sense. And it made no sense from the get-go. When, when I was pushing back on, on shutdowns, or, or we're not bad for USA Today, arguing against shutdowns. Of course, I was vilified in the media. I, like, I want to kill people. No, <laughs> I just didn't want the cure worse than disease. And that's unfortunately, I think, what's happened throughout this. Senator, first thing I want to say is I don't make a lot of political donations. Um, I made the largest individual donation I've ever made to a political candidate to your reelection last year. After the initial hearing that you had to take a crowbar to the Overton window on this. So on behalf of everybody watching and just me personally, I wanted to thank you for showing something we don't frankly see a lot from the political class, even the guys I like, which is bravery. So I wanted to thank you for that. Another question I want to ask you before we get into some specifics that are all going to come across as sinister. Is there a benign or innocent explanation for what we have, or even a series of benign and innocent explanations for what we have witnessed as a country since March 16th of 2020? Well, I certainly think there are a lot of benign actors that got caught up in this. But, and, and again, I, I, I can certainly understand why the federal government uh, prior to, to 2020 uh, were, were doing planning exercises around a pandemic. And I can certainly understand why the Defense Department and DARPA were looking at, you know, what would we do if there's a bioweapon, if somebody makes a chimeric virus? You know, how, how do we react? I mean, could, could there, we develop a vaccine? So to me, that, that's actually responsible actions. What was completely irresponsible was funding and sharing research, for example, with China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be doing research on, on these you know, things that could create a worldwide pandemic that could kill millions of people, uh, boy, you better control that tightly. And the fact that Fauci didn't, that our federal government didn't, and you know, to me, it's just um, those emails are so incriminating. Those are in the redacted form. 
you know, about how he tried to cover this up immediately, how, you know, within a few days, uh, the people he was uh, talking to saying, well, this has got to be man-made. And, you know, three days later, oh, that'd be a conspiracy theory. It just shows the corruption of the process. So it's hard in terms of the people that actually engineered the cover-up uh, that completely sabotaged early treatment with, that, again, that maniacal focus on vaccine. You know, Fauci always wanted a universal vaccine program. He talks about that with Rick Brayden from the Milken Institute. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to uh, assign to them benign motives for a lot of this stuff. And again, Robert Ken- Bob, Bobby Kennedy's book is brilliant in showing you know, who Anthony Fauci is, whether it's forcing uh, medical experiments on foster children in New York, uh, his mishandling of, of the AIDS uh, issue, and he just followed that all the way through. How, how he stayed in f- power for 40 years is, is, is remarkable, quite honestly. When I first read the Imperial College survey that kind of was the, the, the stone tablets from on high that began everything we've seen since March 16th, and as someone with a background with modeling and data and campaigns, I thought, this is a pile of crap, and yet the entire world was going to shut down over this. And one of the things that stunned me, I originally thought as a right winger that this was just a proxy for like the global warming debate. And it was basically going to be the Steve Day shows of the world against academia. And I was a little hesitant given the stakes we're playing for here and how immediate the danger is to jump in against uh, when, it, when I think this is a lot bigger issue than what the temperature might be in a thousand years. What stunned me is how many academics who may not agree with me on a host of issues also thought that that study was bunk, also thought that much of the solutions we were following was bunk, and we, we, we never saw or rarely saw the, from places like Stanford, Oxford, Yale, one of them, Dr. Harvey Risch, was on my show back in September. This is the most watched viral video ever produced in the history of my career. For people that don't know, Harvey Risch might be the most academically cited epidemiologist alive in America today. Over 10,000 academic citations. And I asked him, what was the biggest scam or con or lie of the last three years? Not knowing what his answer would be. He told me the suppression of hydroxychloroquine and the amount of lives and people who died as a result of that. Which, of course, the, the implications of that are astronomical. Out in the cheap seats where I live in Iowa, we hear rumors and stories that politicians had doctors come in, in on Capitol Hill and give them hydroxychloroquine and, and access to ivermectin and things of that nature. Did you witness any of that? Did you see any of that from within Capitol Hill? Were they secretly, was that like contraband? Up there, like like the wire, one of his favorite shows. All right, we well, guys are running that underground, but the rest of us plebes weren't allowed that kind of medicine. Well, I, I do know when I tested positive for COVID, asymptomatic, and I went to the attending physician, he would not give me hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know that in the White House, they were all prophylaxing with hydroxychloroquine. In the um, Trump White House at the time. You mean. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And the uh, Whitlock House as well, if we continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, 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 you pointed out, I mean, those that Imperial College study. At the same time, we had Johnny Anitas, who I had testify in May, trying to try and put University. this all in perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we pretty well knew, based on his study of the Princess Cruz, that yes, th- th- and this was a deadly disease, and it was a nasty disease if you were elderly, if you had certain comorbidities. But for the rest of us, it could be a pretty bad flu. 
uh, but most of us were going to survive. We knew that early in the pandemic, and we completely ignored that. But what you're describing in terms of people in academia that you talked to that, that kind of understood that this was just like climate change, this is a golden opportunity to create a state of fear, to gain greater control and reduce people's freedom, okay? Put more power in the hands of, of the political leadership. Um, the, you know, what, what COVID did is offer that opportunity for the corruption to be revealed and exposed in these agencies. Mm -hmm. So you got a guy, Anthony Fauci, who has been able to carve out his little niche there and turn everything into infectious disease so it falls under his purview and literally direct tens of billions of dollars to all these research institutions. So we've corrupted medical research, we have corrupted medical journals, we've corrupted uh, the medical establishment. Where and that wasn't strictly, you know, Fauci's move, but the consolidation of, of all these hospital systems. And instead of having doctors independent of the hospitals, now they're, they're hired guns. And they, and listen, practicing protocols makes a lot of sense for standard things. But when you're in the midst of a pandemic, and that's really the first thing that, that caught my attention, that just seemed so out of whack, is when you had all these doctors in New York, the hotspot, and they were coming off at 12, 14, 16-hour shifts, and recording videos to, to utilize the technology we had to spread information, right? Saying that this, this isn't what we normally see with, with lung pneumonia. There's something different about this. We're, we're not treating this properly. And they were being shut down. Those two doctors in California, they were treating COVID mm -hmm. patients. Um, saying that, you know, people have already been infected and they're, you know, they were being all censored. And it just didn't make sense. And it just shows you the, the pervasive corruption that COVID is exposed. And I, I think the, the people you're going to be talking to here today, I think what we all have in common is IRIs are open. And we just, we can't understand. This is to us so obvious. We can't understand why literally, I think a majority of the world population, certainly the U.S. population, don't see what we see. You know, why do we have this pervasive state of denial that we're trying to break through? We're, we're, just, we're just trying to tell the truth. I want to pick up on Steve. You've been listening to question. Jason Whitlock and his program Fearless, and he has a tremendous number of fantastic guests. The first one was the you were hearing the voice of Senator Ron Johnson. Whitlock was assisted by Steve Dace, another media personality. And I'm going to put the link to this in the show notes. This is about a two-hour program. They have wonderful guests. I think Senator Johnson really articulated the current state of where we are, where there seems to be obvious corruption, uh, seems to be obvious wrongdoing, uh, people harmed, and yet some people can see it and others simply can't see it right now. They uh, they don't. It's as if they have scales over their eyes. Uh, I think just an extraordinary interchange, and I wanted you to hear that. Uh, we have, um, you know, updates that will be coming over the next few weeks. Uh, what's going on in Davos, Switzerland? Some people think that's the epicenter for uh, what's going to come next in terms of planning, potentially more adverse uh, issues that can come up our way in the United States or worldwide. 
such a tumultuous time this week, uh, the announcement, uh, which was celebrated, widely celebrated, was the uh, announcement of the resignation, or effectively she'll step down at the end of her term, of Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. This was uh, an extraordinary development. You'll see the videos all over social media. I've never seen a resignation announcement that was cheered to this degree. Remember Ardern was one of the strongest voices for the false safe and, agenda, safe and effective agenda, the narrative that just kept pushing the vaccines as safe and effective without any fair review of what do the vaccines do <coughs> with respect to safety and efficacy and without any interpretation of the data. And it kept going. She walked that country to the brink of this terrible uh, no jab, no job policy. Uh, and then the um, extraordinary videos that came out of New Zealand, I think one of the uh, most riveting one, ones is called Silent No More. You can find this on Rumble, where uh, it just shows large numbers of people now with neurologic disabilities, these, uh, this movement disorder that leaves people in wheelchairs and they can't stop. Uh, tremoring the hands with a large oscillation tremor, just really just an extraordinary number of people who are absolutely miserable after taking a COVID-19 vaccine. So, so much to think about, so much to contemplate, and, um, you know, we're going to keep you updated here on the McCullough Report. Uh, America Out Loud Talk Radio is the platform to, to be on and to enjoy all the shows and get updated on all the shows because it is absolutely positively not censored by any one of the mechanisms that we've heard about. You know, there's FBI agents in the intelligence community actively working with Twitter. Now, uh, today, more Twitter drops showing that the same thing is happening in Facebook. I mean, very actively and specifically suppressing information on vaccine uh, safety. Uh, suppressing information on uh, effective early treatments. This is a U.S. national security operation and the intelligence community appears to be highly operative. The CDC, FDA, and NIH are other agencies, but they're not necessarily calling the, the big shots. It seems like the big shots are being called by the intelligence committee, community, and we still don't know who's really in charge of that. Uh, disappointingly, we've uh, seen a recent reaffirmation from former President Trump that uh, the vaccines are safe and they've saved 100 million lives. And Trump supporters are extremely disappointed. Many are walking away in disgust. I think the big issue is the COVID-19 vaccine program, and everybody has to tell us from a candidate perspective where they stand on it. Well, I'll let that be the final word for the McCullough Report for this week. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. <laughs>